millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beatty, and former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser. Are we still calling you a full-on Frenchman this week, Benji, after last week's citizenship <laughs> test? So after last, last week's embarrassment, I had a thought about it and I realised that Johnny was a little bit cheeky because he did surf the wave of basically getting through my, my answers, but it's self-inflicted. And listen, it puts me back in my place, huh? Even as a Frenchman, I need to open a book from time to time and actually <laughs> learn stuff <laughs> about my country. So it's not an issue. But to add to that, we'll speak about it in a minute. But at the weekend, I was at uh, England-France women's uh, game. And I'm the only Frenchman who managed to massively sunburn my whole forehead in the English <laughs> sun. Have been two hours uh, out there. So I am definitely becoming British. So I can hide it and pretend as much as I want, but now it's time for me to face the facts. Maybe we should do an English citizenship test next week and, and you'll, you'll don't, ace don't that. Push, don't push it, mate. Don't push it. <laughs> Johnny, how's things in the south of France? Mate, good. I actually thought I was sunburned until I saw Benji, so I feel great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was at the beach Saturday and Sunday. It was 25, 26 degrees. It was magic. Burgers and beers on the beach. It was a good weekend. No rugby. Um, for me, looking forward to getting to Toulouse this weekend. So we pitched side for that one, which would be great for the semi-final. But look, now kids are back at school. A bit of time to breathe again. A bit of space to ourselves, which is great. Just stuck with a little one at home. Um, but no, great weekend. Lovely. And you mentioned it, Benji. You were at the Stoop, so... Um... France lost to England in the final of the Women's Six Nations. So how was it? So listen, I don't, I'm not the type of guy who will prone diversity for the sake of it. But for all those who were lucky enough either to be there or to watch the game, the sun was out. It was live on BBC. It was live on, on the equivalent of, of BBC France 2 in France. The quality of rugby wasn't outstanding, but it was really heartwarming to see genuinely the top level of world uh, women's rugby going flat out at it. Anybody who doubts on the impact and physicality of women's rugby, go and actually sit on a, go and walk on the side of a of a pitch. They properly went at it. It was a brilliant game of rugby. Again, not not so much the the fireworks and attack that everybody was was hoping for, but long story short, fantastic day of rugby. Women's were put on the, on the highest place and for a reason. The reason being, they are genuinely heartwarmingly um, attached to all the values that we love about rugby. Give everything about uh, what's what's you know in your belly for the jersey. Commit a thousand percent and the right balance between physicality and technique. And for that, it was a superb day. And you mentioned it there, Benji, on terrestrial TV in both England and France. And there's quite a lot of chat about that in England because it, it doesn't happen very often. But in France, it's big, isn't it? Big crowds sometimes when we had crowds and decent audiences on TV as well for, for women's rugby in France. So I don't know how it went on the BBC, but I got the audiences from France. 1.1 million people watched wow. it. The top 14 final, don't correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, but we'll be like 1.5 million on, on Canal Plus, on the equivalent of BT. So, you yep. know, behind the paper paywall. They will be delighted if a big Sunday night game will do 750,000 on Canal Plus. So 1.1 million people is outstanding. Um, they're absolutely delighted with it. Um, it was a proper exposition, but it, 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 they're trying to make a big thing out of it. The reason being... Rugby needs to develop as a whole. It needs to change. It needs to be more diverse, more welcoming. Uh, and so there's something big around it. I know France are putting a, a lot of attention through it. 
I was lucky enough to be in Clermont for the last England-France game. I think there was 16,000 people, 15,000 people in the stands. It was a beautiful spectacle um, and it just brings something different. But England, unfortunately, and I hate to admit it, are by a mile the best team in the world at the moment. And it's funny because at the end of the game, so I was speaking to Maggie Alfonsi and, and to all the sort of the, the, the English superstars of that of that area, of that arena, they cannot wait for France to be England. And the reason being is that they don't cheer for France because they want women's rugby to take that other step. And to take that other step, you need more teams to show that they've improved and they're getting better. You could feel it was more than rugby. It was about development, about uh, yeah, just, just reaching out. They, they, I think the, the girls who played today will know that, uh, Saturday, sorry, will know that at the end of the game, maybe in five years' time, there's somebody going to be like, oh, I watched that game, you know, and that day it made me want to start rugby. And that's a pretty cool thing to do. I don't think I've inspired a lot of people to play rugby, let's face it. And I think these these women <laughs> definitely did. Yeah, and I think 600,000 watched on BBC over here, and that compares to about 200,000 for a premiership semi-final on BT. So there we go. Good to have a wide audience for it. Absolutely. We will look ahead to the French-dominated Champions Cup semi-finals shortly, but there's been some big news at your old club, hasn't there, Benji? So I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, but John O'Gibbs is moving from La Rochelle and taking over as Claremont boss next season, isn't he? So good decision. I think it's a fantastic decision if he doesn't come on his own. Next week, we'll have Damien Schulli, my former mate from, from Clermont. So we can go deeper into the qualities, into the ins and outs of why John O'Gibbs, for me personally and for Damien Schulli, we've got the same opinion. Uh, it's going to be such a, a good input. But my general idea is that He's going to need to be able to build his own staff around him to actually build the next 10 years of, of Clermont. And I really do feel, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that that's the general um, idea of what's going on at the moment. And if that's the case, it's going to be dynamite. The professionalism of the setup, the, the fanatism from the fans, the structure of the academy, uh, the general pride of, of, of belonging from the whole region, which is something that will take you a decade to build, right? They've got that. That's already there. Plus the talent of Jono and his players, all that combined can can make fireworks. So when you say Benji, bring a team with them. Like obviously, Ron Nogara stepped up. He's now taking the La Rochelle job, which is huge for him as well. Who would you like to see jump across with him? So it's not so much uh, um, come across. So basically, you remember what we were talking about last in the last couple of weeks. Franck Azema was head coach after being a backs coach, and he was head coach with Jono, but they were pretty much, they were almost a duo, right? In a day-to-day okay. basis, everybody knew, Jono officially was Ford's coach, but everybody knew, every, it was pretty, Franco was very, very open about it. It was a clear duo putting the strategy up together. So we don't know if it's going to be, if he's going to be a manager, because he doesn't only want to be manager. You know, he he, he adores line outs and Ford's play in general. Yeah. He loves defense. He's a proper strategic guru. So is he going to do the attack with uh, Sadourni? Who's going to stay with him? That's my question. So I don't okay. know how it's going to be. I think Xavier Sadourni is going to stay. He's pretty much been said already by the, by the president. I think Benson Stanley... Is a very, very young coach, but he's doing some fantastic work. And I just think he, he will learn so much also. And they had a good relationship, him and him and Jono. So it w- I wouldn't be surprised if Benson stepped up and became proper defense coach with a, a bit more um, things to do. I would just love to see Dato Zirakashvili, the Georgian prop, come back, who was already a scrummaging consultant for La Rochelle. Jono took him there. If he could come, but then that means Didier Bess. It would be natural if he only went with Franck. If Franck does end up signing in Montpellier and everything gets done, uh, because Didier Best is from there. Those are the yeah. little changes, but I'm talking, are you also going to replace sort of the link between the president and Jono? I think somebody needs to be there. I would have loved to do that job, but that's not going to be me. Benjamin Kayser, get your hat in the ring, mate. Nah, nah. I, I, I had some chats and stuff, but I, from off, straight off the bat, I told them, listen, it's not, it's not even worth talking. Agents will always call you and tell, oh, you know, I've heard that this, and I, I stop you right there. If I'm packing my bags up in September to go back where I just moved to from two years ago, whereas the whole idea was to move the girls to an English school and, you know, and, and Oxford and to take a next step to go back to there, it's, it just makes no sense. I would love to, but it's way too early, way too soon, just not, not the right timing for me. But somebody desperately needs to, to do the same way that we spoke to Yannick Nyonga, remember, a couple of weeks ago, months yeah. ago. And he's doing a fantastic job of being linked with the modernity, modernity of, of rugby. And he's also got that player eye and the respect from the players and above. So I think Clermont needs a guy like that. So what do you think it is that's attracted him about moving back? He's already had huge success. Look where La Rochelle are. They haven't won anything yet. But what for him do you reckon made the difference between jumping shit from La Rochelle and heading back to Clermont? He left in excellent terms, always feeling there's so much more. My job is not done at Clermont. I wish it could have done more. So we played a couple of Champions Cup finals together too. 
he took us to two Champions Cup finals that we lost him, but we won the, the, the Brennus together. And he left by saying he's gutted, he, his kids don't want to leave, but it was a professional decision to try to fit more with the criteria that are required for a career in coaching in, back in NZ. I think he's just so happy in Europe that now he feels that because the opportunity is there, he might as well take it. I, I'm, it would be fun to ask Jono. I mean, I can call him and stuff. I'm still in contact with him. I'm pretty sure it's Franck Azema who gave him a call. And you'd be like, mate, if there's one guy that needs to take after me, I want it to be you. So basically, unfinished business. But he knows that on his own, he's not going to do enough. He knows that Clermont is la belle endormie. How would you describe that, Johnny? Sleeping giant. Sleeping giant, exactly. It's a sleeping giant. So there's so much potential there, but a potential to be Leinster, right? We're going to kill everyone for 10 years if you want, but not to be up and down like that because the structures are there. All the hard graft is done. And like you said, there's going to be some change. So they're not going to lose Parao Lopez. They're still there next year. But how, who do you build around and how do you do that transition and how do you get that next leadership group in there? That's going to be a tough one. That's why he can't do that and take care of the ethics and take care of the strategy and take care of the forge role, right? You need to spread the workload. You hit it here first. Benjamin Kayser turned down the top job at Claremont with John O'Gibbs, but one day, enough. one day. Not enough, not enough money. <laughs> Let's have a look at the Champions Cup semi-finals then. And we're all on GC, aren't we, for Toulouse-Bordeaux on Channel 4. So is it definitely going to happen? Because there have been positive COVID cases in the, the Bordeaux camp, haven't there? It's going to be last minute. They're going to have to leave the decision fairly late. Um, Bordeaux are going to... I think they've got two more tests to do this week, Benji. And with those two rounds, that dictates who they can choose. They haven't been able to prepare. So they've all been training in small groups. They didn't get to play at the weekend. So the preparation has been wrecked. Christoph Urios normally would have had, if you'd missed the game, you'd been beating the crap out of each other in 15 on 15, trying to get some contact and people used to collisions. They haven't, it doesn't get any easier. Going to Toulouse on any normal weekend is hard, but it's made much, much harder this weekend. I don't know if you've had any other inside information, Benji, but for me, that's it. They've got two more rounds of testing and, and from those tests, they can, they're, they're dictated to with what team they can put out. If they've got CAC contact, if they've got contact cases, their hands are tied and those groups of people that are training isolation are removed from the 23. Yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's the, the reality. I don't know if you guys saw, so obviously, well, we'll speak about it later, but Johan Uge is as a, a career-ending injury and Max Medal was talking about it and then you're like, how do you throw yourself into the Bordeaux game next Saturday? Is that, well, first there's COVID tests. And that's the number one thing that all the teams have to go through before you even speak about the game and the strategy and the fitness levels and blah, blah, blah. They all need to get tested and then we will know if the game is on. So I think every team, it's become second, you know, the normality of having to, to assess that. And on top of that, when you're Bordeaux, where you had a tiny bit of an epidemia and you have to deal with it, that's why they're saying there's a possibility that the game doesn't see it through. But at the moment, all the green lights are there, but it's so uncertain that when you had an epidemic, look what happened with the French team the other, last time during Six Nations. You can have two days with absolutely zero cases, and the third day, some somehow, somewhere, there's another guy that comes back up. So, unfortunately, we're just gonna have. It's gonna be one that we need to wait. Uh, I think testing's been done yesterday. Everybody's negative, but it needs to be confirmed tomorrow. Yeah. And if no uh, positive cases come out tomorrow, then the game should be played all good. But obviously, the preparation will be completely all over the shop because I don't even think Bodo were allowed to train as a full squad yet. No. First training will be will be Thursday or Friday, which is definitely not ideal. Well, we'll all keep our fingers crossed that the game does go ahead at the weekend and we can have a chat about it now and bring in a man who should be able to give us a bit of insight into it. Former Toulouse prop, Census Johnson joins us. How are you? Hello, Fajins. Good, good. You spent eight seasons at Toulouse. So um, are you backing them to win a, a fifth European crown this season? Yeah, I've with the games that I've seen over the last couple of weeks, I definitely think they have the goods to um, get that fifth star. They've got quality all over the, the park and um, I just don't see, see them losing, to be honest. So you talk about quality. I'm just going to jump right in there to my man crush. Uh, Julien Marchand. <laughs> I wonder how long it'd take. <laughs> hey, I think he's flipping awesome. And I think he's just getting better and better and better. But let's forget about him. Let's just talk about genuinely the, just the, that front row with Cyril Bay, who's at the moment dominating, as Elou said. Julien Marchand, yeah. who's spot on, and Charlie Farmouina, who just seems to be absolutely rock solid. So obviously, you can, you can speak to us about that. And that's always been the key base. I mean, when you were in Toulouse, mate, there was probably what? There was William Savat next to you, you, Tighted, Stinkamp, Lucid. There was always this, this Dan Human or whatever. There was always this culture of having a massive, massive party. That's how it all started. Can you, can you see that history repeating with the new generation? Yeah. And, you know, you, you have a look at um, the headlines of late. You see 
DuPont, you hear about Intermec and, and those sorts, sorts of players, which do make a difference. But I actually think that the key to this to lose is their front row has has been um the unsung heroes, uh Charlie, Mashong and Bai. They've just been awesome with the games that I've seen. They've they've been the real key. And it's interesting to hear you talk about the the forwards because you mentioned everyone talks about Dupont. Entermac. We had Zach Holmes on the other week talking about the Toulouse way. Give us an insight from a forwards point of view, what it's like at Toulouse, having spent eight seasons there, the culture of the club, and also the pressure to play a certain way. So how does that translate into from a forwards point of view? Yeah, so over the, um, my years anyway, it was difficult because um, at that stage, every every team was, was a difficult team to play. You had Breve, who obviously weren't, the top of the crop, but then every time you came against them, it was pretty much a shit fight. And they were always up for those games. So there were never really any easy games at Toulouse because everyone, everyone just wanted your head. Um, it's, 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 it's different, obviously. I, never, I was never part of Toulouse, so I can't really comment. All I know is when you're a 17-year-old and you start getting picked for the French team, you want to go play for Toulouse because they have the yeah. coolest kit. And because it's a good, because it's a good, <laughs> but you you joke, but those black shorts with that little Mikey Nike. thing. When we were sixteen, yeah. mate, you'd beat the shit out of people in the in the bus just to get that those shorts. When you when you played all, all through youth rugby, they were the team to beat. When when I started rugby, basically they they won. I think from ninety one to ninety five, four consecutive Brennus. It's never been yeah. done. They and then in ninety six they won the Champions Cup, well the Heineken Cup at the time. They were absolutely killing it. Then Stade Francais came to the scene, but they were still there. So Barrett's came and go, and Toulouse were always there. So they had that bit of a what three four year sort of a tough moment where the generations changed. The Guinoves yeah. needed to you need to swap and all that. But is there's definitely a myth about about Toulouse, which I hated at the time because I've never been part of them. But you have to admit that there was a bit of jealousy. Obviously, there is a Toulouse way that they cherish that only Census knows better th- better than me, and that made them successful. That which, like he exactly said, they have found back again. They have that that aura about them now. Um, it, it, it's come back. It was lost over the last three or four years, apart from um, last year when when they won. But they're definitely the, the the team everybody wants to beat now, and it's hard to keep up their reputation. For, for years on end because it's just just the thing when you play for Toulouse you just put your head down and you you fucking try to beat everybody it's 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 a special place to to live in too especially when you're winning but also I found out the last last few years of of Toulouse and seeing where it ended up with the end of the cycle it, it was also a hard place to be at as well with the supporters being down and then also the boys being down at the same time. We were really in the trenches the last couple of years. Comes with huge pressure. Even for a young Scottish kid growing up watching Heineken Cup rugby, Toulouse was the team you wanted to play for. So it doesn't matter if you're a 17-year-old on a team bus or a pasty white kid running around age 13 watching TV. If you like, It's the exact same. Everybody wanted to be part of Toulouse. Like you touched on the, the heavy part in the end, which happens everywhere. At the end of cycles, it, it gets nitty-gritty. It gets hard. But more positively... Like le- reading through the notes before this, 2010 was the last time that they won the Champions Cup and you were part of it. That must have been an epic memory. Can you talk us through what that was like winning it? You talked about how incredible it can be with Toulouse behind you as a town. Like the celebrations must have been phenomenal. That European Cup sticks with me the most because it was my first year at Toulouse as well. And then being able to come through the airport and just seeing the whole place packed out all the way out to to the capital and um it becomes addictive you 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 want to win every single time just to get that sort of sort of atmosphere again and um as the years wore on it, it started getting harder and harder because everyone just they really want to put it back back on on the Toulouse team of the moment and and we found it pretty hard near the end to to try and keep that up and um although for me as one of the old guys back then and Having to to leave such a place, it, it was difficult. It wasn't it wasn't an easy thing to do, but I think for 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 me and also in my career, it was the best time to leave and um, try new things. Just while we're on Toulouse and celebration centres, I just want to ask you about one guy who crops up so regularly on the podcast, <laughs> and you'll know him well. Do you, <laughs> I think you know already. 
Joe Tacori. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is talked about as the glue that, that holds this Toulouse team together off the field as well as on it, just in terms of his relationships with people. But more importantly, is he the best drinker you've ever seen? Yeah, hands down. Joe's the the, the champ of champs with, with drinking. I don't think I've met anybody that, that could beat him. The funny thing about Joe is he came into uh, the Toulouse culture at the time with Guy, where Guy didn't like to have anybody drinking and um, playing music on the bus, especially after losses. And I remember Joe's first year coming into the team and we had lost, I can't remember the team at the time, we had lost um, the game and Joe stood up and was like, well, what's going on? You know, is it a funeral or why, why is no one drinking? And then I had to explain to Joe, Joe, you know, when you drink, uh, when you lose here, there's no drinking. And that's that's the policy. Do not smile. Do not try and talk. That was Guy's way. And especially during pre-match and that sort of thing, um, I've got a story. <laughs> we were in Oyanax preparing um, to play and me and Joe have come in for breakfast and we've just started laughing, talking about the toilets there because, you know, the toilet space is made for hobbits and we couldn't couldn't get our legs to sit sit straight into the toilet and we're just laughing. And then then we didn't see Guy come come behind us and he was like, oh, why why are you guys laughing? And we're like, oh, nothing. Um, Just just a personal joke. So then um, later on in the day, you, you, you definitely don't want to be the pre-match speech. So Guy's gone on with a speech and he's made me and Joe the, the, <laughs> the, the culprits of that speech. And he's like, yeah, well, uh, you know, um, we and Axe are, are trying to survive in the competition and we've got guys laughing on the day of the game. And, uh, you know, Ooh. and then he calls me and Joe up. And we're just like, what the hell? <laughs> so, yeah, we've, we've become the post-match speech. And it, it wasn't funny at the time, but it, it's funny when you talk about it now. And those were a couple of uh, my moments with, with Joe coming into the team and having to teach him a few of Guy's uh, traits. Man, I think that happens to every foreigner in France. It's so serious. I'm not yeah. like Benji. You have grown up with like super quiet change. Everywhere I've been in France is like super serious. Whereas generally coming from Scotland or people coming from elsewhere, you can kind of have a laugh on the bus. And then when you get to the stadium, you switch on. Whereas in France, it seems to be the opposite. You can kind of have a laugh at training during the week. But as soon as it's game day, if you crack a smile, you're getting clipped around the ears. The strangest contrast in in cutting it. We've all been there. I think we've all been the butt of a head coach in France's what are you doing? What are you thinking? Why are you smiling? It happens to everybody. Yeah, I'm not too sure if Benji got one of those with Guy, but... um... That's one of the worst things to happen to you. Mate, I'll tell you what. There's... <laughs> <laughs> I was brought up Stade Francais. So Stade Francais was completely different. Music in the changing room, rock up an hour and 15 before the games. I think Toulouse, when you guys played at home, didn't you go to the hotel the night before? Yeah. No, if, so every every week uh, weekend, we played any games, whether it was hard or difficult. We were in, we were in um, hotels the night before. So it was, it was re- real heavy. It was, it was real heavy. And it was something, yeah. And it was something that I really need to get used to because I was never home on the weekends to see the family, and it, it, it's hard, especially for the wives, because they're like, "What are you going to the hotel for?" And we're like, oh, "You know, when you're at Toulouse, you're here to play rugby. There's nothing else." So you get told like, "There's millions of people that want to play for this team." And if you don't want to play for this team, they're just going to replace you straight away. That's what happens when you're the Manchester United of rugby, mate. It's, it's, it's the myth, <laughs> and the myth comes with a heavy burden. What's the thinking behind that? Either Benji or Census or Johnny. Like, what? Why? They, they don't want you thinking about anything else. Just sit there and you think about the game. And, you know, it was something I wasn't used to. But then after a few months, that was it. You just thought about rugby. The, the most difficult times, if I remember correctly, was heading into like semis and um, quarters in that of the Heineken Cup. Like, you'd get insulted from the start of the week. So, I mean, there, it wouldn't be a, a, um, a bad intention, but it would be always just to get you up for the weekend. And, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many stories and, and, and that because I, I don't want to 
portray Guy as a bad person, but I, I loved him. I, I loved the way he worked and I, I loved the system that he had and it, it worked for me. But if you were anybody else that um, came from outside and had just gone through it, you'd think he was he was mental. That feeds to everyone. So I, I didn't. I never had uh, Guy Noves apart from one week, the French Babas. Where he yeah. put Byron Kelleher as captain of the French Babas, who rocked up late <laughs> in the first team, first team play meeting. Mate, Guinoves, I'm telling you, at the French Babas gave the most serious speech that they've ever seen before. French Babas is literally listen, drink piss all week, have fun, freedom, this <laughs> and that. And and Jean Pierre Rive had to go behind Guinoves and be like, chill out, mate. Come on, it's the, <laughs> it's the Babas. It's the Babas. We're here. We're here to have fun, you know. And Guinoves did did not like that. Yeah. And it's it's one of the reasons why you're so successful. But I, having having spoken to a lot of the boys who are in in the younger generation now, and him transferring over to the French team, um, it worked for our generation. Yeah, like our generation, we were used to getting abused, uh, insulted all the time, and it worked for us. You know, it sunk in like, okay, well, I'm going to prove prove them wrong. Whereas if you were to um, do that now to a kid now. You break them. Mate, how many times sentences would you take in, on, in the showers before a game and, you know, shaking up or you see guys headbutting each other, whatever, in Burritz? I'm pretty sure like Jérôme Thion must have been, the machine must have been yeah. pretty fun before games. Now that's, you think that's just a different era. It almost yeah. looks like a different game. You try to do that to the new generation. Damien Pono will probably run away and not even want to play that <laughs> yeah. game. You know, you'll be like, oh, stay away from me. Yeah, even even being in the change rooms and having a few discussions with the younger boys now, and you, you think you know, these guys would never handle the things that oh, we had sure. to go through in our generation. From Monday, as soon as you walked into to training, you're getting it like, oh yeah, um, did you see uh, Racing's game from the weekend? Did you see their front row? Uh, yeah, I, so I called them and I told them. Uh, uh, not to stick their finger up your ass <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> and that was a Monday. So you can imagine during the next four or five days what you're getting their whole their whole time. And yeah, that's kind of the things we had to put up with. It's old school. Like you even had, do you remember when Bujala was president of Toulon and Savea wasn't playing that well, but like they weren't playing well inside him. He's like, oh shit. I think I signed like his useless brother. This isn't Savia that's rocked up. This is some, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, useless cousin. That. Like just clear insults and national prep. It's the same in clubs. And it's that, the, the one thing I find massively different was like, I find Monday there were sort of insults to maybe Thursday, but as soon as it was team run day and game day, it was serious. You had to be super serious. Whereas if you do a team run with like the Scottish side or like when you were at Saracens, it was much more lighthearted. And then there was a kind of a switch that you would flick when it was time to go to game. Whereas yeah. I find in France, it's like there's a seriousness of the, the pre-match routine, team run day, and then game game time. And like the two biggest examples for me were Brees Mack, who you, I'm not sure if you played with Brees Mack, the hooker yeah, from the hooker, Cast, uh, Cast yeah. Yeah. who played for the French team as well, like really good friend of mine. He did not leave his house after Thursday at midday. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get him to come out of the house. It was incredible, but that, that was how he lived. He was like, no, no, there's a game on Saturday. Like, I, I can't. You're like, mate, we're going to go for a coffee. We're going to go for dinner with the wives. He's like, mate, it's Thursday. You, you know my routine. Like, would not leave the house. The other one on game day was Urios. So when I had Urios as coach at Cast, yeah, um, I came down like, it was It was a day game. We're playing in La Rochelle and Richie Gray and I came down. We had breakfast at nine o'clock and it was like, you know, typical French breakfast. There was like cereal, baguette. We were like, Shit, well, there's nothing else to eat, but like, want to get like a decent meal because the game's at one o'clock. We ordered scrambled eggs. He came down, saw we were having scrambled eggs and had ordered off the menu, threw our scrambled eggs off the wall. Like just absolutely oh. raging that we changed the script or like didn't want to go a lot. Like we were trying to do something different, but we were just trying to get like a decent meal before the game. Like com like completely different, but little nuances that you get like in the UK or Southern Hemisphere to France, completely different, but I yeah. love it. It's great. You, you wouldn't get it anywhere else. That's why we love it. That's probably that's probably one of the impact of also the, the Kiwis and you know that census. All the South Hemisphere guys, look, you talk about Joe. Joe will keep a smile on his face before 10 minutes to the game. I don't, and he's had good games and bad games. I don't think there's many games where he wasn't ready to fight, right? Mm. Right. And, and, and that's, that's, I mean, I played a year with Chris Masoi. Chris Masoi is the most chilled bloke you've ever seen before a game. He'll laugh and he'll joke and he'll this and that. 
And let me tell you, on the pitch, he's not there to laugh. He's not there to joke. He just yeah. wants to chop people in half. And, and, and to be honest, when you can allow yourself not to use all that energy of for six hours, banging your head in the shower wall, you know, to get ready for a game, then or you have a lot Thursday. more energy. Yeah, since Thursday. <laughs> then you, you, you know, jump on the high kick, the, the postman, because he tried to touch your, your mailbox on a Thursday night. <laughs> then at least at least you have a lot more energy for the 80 minutes on the pitch. You're talking about the differences in generation. Obviously, on the pitch as well, since it's such a long career, the role of a front rower has changed massively from the start of your career to the end. Yeah, it has. Um, and um, for, for me coming into to Europe and that sort of thing where I was born with touching the ball, that's always what I wanted to do. So when I, when I came into Beirut, they didn't really see any any front rows touching the ball it was just scrums moles and um doing the hard stuff and i think for, for me at the time um it was it was difficult difficult coming into that system but then when they saw me run with the ball they they allowed me to do my thing and um i, I think over the years it's it's evolved in, into that but i'm i think um, the last five years have been real about um, stats, being able to get off the ground and get back into the game. And um, it's, it's, it's one of the, the reasons why I decided to, to give it the cut last year because I couldn't keep up with the stats. <laughs> I don't believe you couldn't keep up what they're asking you for and buy on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard in the end. Like I, I was doing pretty much every single training and it was difficult and I'm not going to lie but um yeah i'm, I'm kind of happy where i'm at now and you mentioned bayon johnny you've um you've got a bone to pick with sensors haven't you but bayon I'm, I'm not sure if i even <laughs> brought this up with you sense so like i eventually i we got the up from prodi do we got promoted and i got a phone call from the president of bayon and he was like oh just to let you know um your contract's going to census johnson um he's decided to sign for nick 100 is that like for like swap johnny it's you and census yeah pretty, pretty yeah. much because <laughs> i play number eight <laughs> <laughs> but that was it that was how my that was how i finished thanks for feeding my family for <laughs> <one> <laughs> <year>. <laughs> and but you signed for two years and you, you did one a yeah so, so it wasn't even i could have just stayed and played tight head <laughs> <laughs> I, I signed on to do a second year as a coach but I think in the end, I just wanted to spend a bit of time away from the game and um, put put a lot of time into my family because that sacrificed so many years. And um, my girls are, are getting to the point where my first one's going to go into high school. And um, yeah, I just want to be able to be with her and not being told I needed to be in a place at a certain time. And um, it's, it was just getting that freedom to be able to do what I wanted to do, and um, it's it's such a different life. Um, I, I have had difficult days where I've gotten bored and that, but mainly when it's rained for like two, three <laughs> weeks straight. But um, apart from that, it's 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 good to see life outside the game there as well. That's awesome, and I think generally you can split players into two brackets. Those that want to play as long as they can forever and basically get kicked out. And I think others kind of get bored mentally, want different kinds of stimulation and are ready to kick on. So, mate, it's credit to you that you've taken the decision in your own hands and you've kicked on, you're doing other things. I want to ask you briefly, I'm not sure if the other two boys follow you on Instagram, but give us a little insight into what you've been up to over the past couple of weeks because I've been watching and it looks awesome. Um, but in and around the pay basque, what have you been up to? So... I um, met a guy who owns uh, a Pimong farm out in uh, Espelet. I don't know if you've heard of Pimong the Espelet. World famous chilies. Famous chilies. So he's he's needed a couple of people to to help him um, on his farm, and um, I kind of put up my hand to to help him out. Like I was out last weekend driving and planting uh, Pimongs and uh, that sort of thing. But um, it's 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 refreshing. Um, learning new things and um, being being able to do things that you wouldn't have otherwise experienced um, playing rugby, and um, it's those small things that that keep you going every day. And a lot of my other things I've been doing is just just a, little, a few little side projects, but um, it's been been pretty good so far. Mate, wanted to ask you. You, you talk, touched briefly about your interest outside rugby. You've also run a company, Front Row Supplies, clothing yeah. company. How's it been going? Yeah, good. Um, I run it uh, with my brother-in-law, who's based in New Zealand. So 
it kind of started about five years ago when I was in Toulouse, but didn't really put um, that much work into it until the last year with COVID and that sort of thing. And um, since then, it's um, gone real well. And we're, we're trying to work a bit on it to try and get it to work a bit more in, in Europe. Uh, the only thing is, is, with everything closed down, it's it's, it's pretty difficult. But, um, yeah, we're pretty happy with where it's at at the moment. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do a bit more work over here when things start opening up. And do you deliver to Kent Census? Because I think I know a front rower is um, might be interested. A front row influencer. Yeah, man. I've seen pictures of the guys that he's using. They're triple my size at the moment. So <laughs> I, I, will be, I will be a small influencer. But no, the kit looks amazing. Um, I think it's done like a proper hardcore, proper fellas, right? It's like the you want to be you want to be the cool, badass dude while well, you wear that. That that's that's the way that I see it. Cheers, man. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> so you're clearly loving life in France still, even though you're not playing any more census. And um we made Johnny and Benji take a mock French citizenship test last week on the show. So is that something you've been through? Can you give us an insight into what's what that's like? Are you a are you a French citizen or not? Uh, not yet. I'm in the process of doing it, but I, I did do the test about a year ago. So um, uh, out in Paris, I went to uh, Alliance Francaise and tried it out and didn't, didn't do any study, but looked at it on my phone real quick and... And surprisingly enough, I passed. So. Oh, mate, yeah. that's a kick you, in the nuts, that one. Yeah, you mate, got Benji yeah. in his French. <laughs> mate, I think it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, I surprised myself, but um, my, my, I had another friend, uh, a Georgia friend, I'm not going to name him. We both <laughs> went out at the same time. But he, if you listen to his French, it's perfect French. So he's he's got it to, to the test. Ace aced the, the the whole test but they've given him a piece of paper and he's he's looked at it and he's like she comprehend too Kakovin Kakovin if you're listening to us if you're listening to us say hello mate he doesn't play rugby. <laughs> Whatever. A Georgia, a, a Georgia who's in France who doesn't play tight head prop, mate. That's bullshit. A Georgian who doesn't play in the front row. Yeah, whatever. Great to see you. Um, still loving life in France, Census. Brilliant to have you on and get your insight. And um, if you can pass that citizenship test, I think Benji will agree. You're a proper Frenchman. Cheers. I think I'm more French than him. 100. Oh, I agree. <laughs> Brilliant, Census. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Cheers mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Take care. See ya. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this. So we come up with a strong original name that really stands out. The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, we mentioned it there with Census. Toulouse-Bordeaux this weekend. What do you reckon? I, th- I think on, on a normal day, normal circumstances, it was always going to be Toulouse. So with Bordeaux having even less preparation and a tougher time and Toulouse being on fire, I mean, they put 30 points on racing at the weekend. They always come out of the monster confrontation. The, the Toulouse, they backed it up in Clermont under the rain, under complicated circumstances. Uh, I think the, the, only, the only cloud in the sky is probably Johan Uge's injury, who's going to be career-ending because I think he ruptured his Achilles and he got operated on and he already announced that he was going to retire at the end of the year. But it's one of those emotional moments that will only spike up even more the, the group's motivation to do him proud and to do well. Um, but they, they seem to be slightly, slightly light in, in the back three uh, department because Max Medard, I'm sure he'll play, but is, is, is apparently uh, not, not, not super certain of, of starting. So that's the only thing. Basically, Toulouse are better sides. And with the fact, that, especially in Europe and especially at the moment, Bordeaux have already peaked. Like we said, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic uh, Champions Cup, uh, irrespectively of what happens uh, this Saturday. Uh, so I think it's going, always going to go Toulouse's way. And on top of that, if Bordeaux haven't played for two weeks, it's a complicated one. Haven't even been able to smash the shit out of each other uh, 15 on 15, you know, for a couple of days. It is very complicated. So I think it's too much of a task to ask for Toulouse, for Bordeaux, sorry. I agree. The, the danger is that we write them off completely, um, which is what has happened to all Christophe Uroyos' teams. Like, think about Montpellier getting cast in the final a couple of years ago. Nobody even thought for a second that cast could win. And you're right, Toulouse have got way more experience, way more quality. They're playing better rugby, but I certainly want it to be a game. I would definitely back Toulouse as well, but they're not going to have any preparation, like you said. They're not going to be able to train it's whether Christoph Urios, with his words, can conjure something out of them that gets them within a score and they can sneak something. Otherwise, it could be very one way. That's it. We don't know what kind of team they're going to get on the pitch, but if you think about how you would try and stop to lose, you'd hope for a wet day. You'd think, right, everything that Christoph prides himself on, pragmatism, huge aggressive defence, field position territory... It's the only sort of team that I would see a few teams in the top four team that could pip them and would be Bordeaux, the way they play. So look, they, they, they weren't flashy. They didn't do anything fantastic apart from the work of Jalibar, who was insane in the quarterfinal. But look, if you manage to stop, like, his whole game is built on two man, two man tackles, huge defense, physically impose yourselves um, and play for your town. And look, they will not be prepared, but crazier things have happened. So look, I'm hoping for a huge game. Um all French semi-final doesn't happen that often um, it should be a terrific game of rugby but look it's going to be really really hard for Bordeaux obviously to lose are clearly favourites and after the all French quarterfinals are we going to get a try in this one I think you're definitely definitely and Johnny you mentioned it there you've got experience with with Christophe Uri. so just give us if the game does go ahead just give us an idea of what techniques he uses to get his players up for a game like this backs against the wall everything's against us yeah, he's really good at just getting inside the heads of the players, um, the motivations and culture of the group, and twining that with the t- So Oyanax, he did that really easily, um, brought people together, a nothing town, small population, but they thought like going to Oyanax was horrible. Not only because they had a horrible field and it was one of the worst places to go in top 14. And the toilets were pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he made them this tough to play against, gritty, like you described like a Breve or a, a horrible team to play against because they were physically imposing. They dominated collisions. They were in your face. They were up for it and they didn't get, they would never give up. And that's exactly what he did cast as well. You know, small town buying the mentality. Where are you from? What does it mean? Bordeaux have been a bit lost. They've had huge budgets that the president's chucked money at the club for years, but this is now the first time that they've looked settled, organized, comfortable in themselves and they really fight. And it'll be the exact same. Look, we're going to Toulouse, the pretty boys, multiple winners. We've got nothing to lose. We'll do this for Tana Bordeaux. We've gone through absolute hell. He is really good at getting you in that mindset of being underdogs, not letting up for a second in a game, defending properly, being organized for 80 minutes. I mean, it's really simple rugby the way they play, but it's effective. Um, and that's what he brings to the table. So look, it's knockout rugby. Anything can happen, but he will definitely mentally have them primed, even though it will have been a difficult two weeks to digest. He'll have them primed to absolutely leave this field with nothing and to lose and give it all. 
And you mentioned Johan Huge, Benji, a hugely sad end, if it is the end, as we assume, we kind of know it is, um, after his injury against Racing. I'm reluctant to mention this now, but he does have a reputation over here because of his edge in the UK. Being in France, obviously, he's got a legendary reputation for what he's done, what he's achieved in his career. Is that reputation that some people in England pen him with as a, a dirty player or is that unfair? I'm, I'm not particularly close to him, but uh, but I think it's unfair. I think he's a bit, he's a bit like your Mike Brown. If you want to hate him as much as you want on the pitch... He still, he still, he still, yeah, he still gives absolutely everything. Uh, he's not dirty in the sense that he's not a cheap shotter. Maybe he's a little bit on the edge, and he's he, Mike Brown is the epitome of what French don't like about their English arrogance, and then vice versa. Maybe you know, you need to find your French in France now. Mate, you can only respect the fact that he's got what fifty odd caps for France. He's won some titles, fair and square. Um, he actually went through second division uh, early on and he's a little bit of a late bloomer. He was in Agen, then went to Bayonne and then made it the French team and then Toulouse. So everybody thinks super high talent career, but actually until the age of 25, 26, he didn't do much with himself. And then World Cup 2015, I was with him in England. He was by a mile the fittest back we had. He just went through, he took professionalism to a whole different stratosphere. And then he broke his ACL, I think, first game against Italy or before the first game. I can't remember which one it was. So a bit, a bit of a heartbreak and the World Cup before that. Remember, he couldn't make it because of that whole testing protocol thing. When, you know, you need to give, tell, give them, he had three no-shows basically where I've, I've chatted to loads of guys who had to do it. And I believe now that it was a clear academic incidents he's never easy he was tested before after during whatever and it was never an issue so he had a few ups and downs a few bumps along the way but in the end he, he comes out on a high he had the the intelligence of saying that his body couldn't pull through it anymore because he's, he's only 33 or 34 or something it's not like he's 40 but unfortunately that's what he said very cleverly yesterday he said i told you my body couldn't handle he just took the decision for me so it's it's a sad way of finishing you don't want to finish in crutches uh in in june but you know that there's much bigger and more important things. As long as he's healthy and he's and he's got his family around him, then we wish him all the best. And we mentioned that Toulouse will want to win the European Cup for him this year. That, that's an extra bit of added motivation for them. We've talked about John O'Gibbs. Will his departure from La Rochelle give them a bit of extra motivation against Leinster? Or how do you see that one going? I, I don't see Toulouse wanting to win it for him. All I meant is that they, they will try to make him proud on top of that. They want to take their mate, you know, up to them and they'll be like, right, let's 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 help him to finish on a high. But after the Champions Cup, there's also the top 14. Huh? And Toulouse have massively have got their eye on another Brennus, which technically could make them double French champion because nobody was given the Brennus last year. Um, and, and for John O'Gibbs, I think it's very different. I don't think the top 14 will be something they'll want to do together, but I think the La Rochelle squad have said, we want to win it with John while he's still here. Because the combination of John O'Gibbs and, and, and Ronan O'Gara is just mind-blowing in terms of experience and knowledge on that European Cup. So they want to use it as much as they can. And it seems like a, an unbelievable year for everyone to seize an opportunity. You just need to win two games. You know, you don't need to win 50 times and then you have a, a star on the jersey for the rest of your life. And Johnny, how do they go about it against Leinster? Because they, they are lacking in European pedigree and experience compared to Leinster. But how do they, how do they go about doing it? They are, and I think we talked about it briefly before. If you've watched Leinster's game over the past three, four, five seasons, they're hugely impressive. They always have been. They churn out an incredible number of academy kids that come through and flourish through their school system. Like the, the amount of kids they drive through and then the quality that they produce at top level is incredible. Um, but I think if you're going to copycat anybody's blueprint, look no further than Saracen's. Um, and how just with power and bullet with Skelton when he was there, how they've bullied them. Um, and that would be the one thing, even though you look at Leinster and you don't think you know they're lacking much, it'd be like, look, with Aldrich, with Vito, with Botia, can these guys smash Leinster apart and just therefore there's no answer? Because if Leinster get hold of the ball, they get into multi-phase, the speed of the game, they can beat anybody. But can La Rochelle, with the power game they have, they're, they're smart, that they're well-organized, well-thought-out, structured play. Can they just bully this Lancer team in submission? We've seen their scrum is huge. Maul's a big weapon for them as well. But with those strike runners, can they just bludgeon that gain line and beat basically Leinster to death in a semi-final and get into a final? And as Benji said, it's two games and it can be done. Um, easily and look no further than Saracen the way they did it over the past few seasons against Leinster hugely impressive and I think John O'Kibbs will have taken note and that game plan will be rolled out this weekend 
So I, I couldn't agree more with you, Johnny, apart from the, 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 the quarterfinal against Exeter. For me, it's basically telling you that doing it, thinking that you're just going to outmuscle them is just not enough. And Saracens, like you said, do it the Saracens way. They outmuscled them, but on top of them, they strategically killed them. High balls, pressure under, extreme discipline. And that's going to be the key one. If La Rochelle can apply the extreme discipline, and that's what I hope for them, that Ronan O'Gara and John O'Gibbs are going to bring them. And a, a, a inner inside analysis of the lanes to what makes them think, to, what, what's make them, what, what makes them tick even as players in terms of what can get them, get them out of their comfort zone, personally, emotionally, uh, you know, whatever. All that tiny bit of knowledge is going to be, for me, the, the added value that they can bring that will be, that will basically make, make the impact more complete rather than just saying, we're going to outmuscle them, that's it. Because the Exeter quarterfinal show that it's not enough. And you're going to have to bring to bring everything. So they can do it, but it's still a, it's a proper, proper game that they're going to have to play. 100%. If you, again, if you look back at that sale quarterfinal and you saw how smart they were with some of their plays, like it's not just going to be physicality. It's going to, going to be everything, complete performance, like you say. But again, I think the thing, the most important thing for them is physically just to dominate. Dominate that gain line, get themselves in the front foot and don't give Leicester a sniff because we've seen how easily again, they can come back from absolutely nowhere and snatch a game. So yeah, should be a huge game of rugby. So come on then, let's get your predictions. Um, are you calling an all-French final? What's going to happen in both games? So I reckon Toulouse will beat Bordeaux, let's say 20 to 10, a comfortable win, 10 points difference. Uh, still, not, they're definitely not going to trash them. Bordeaux are no, no joke uh, this year. But I see Toulouse winning comfortably, let's say 20 to 10 or 23 to 10, whatever. La Rochelle-Leinster, La Rochelle-Leinster is a very, very tough one. For the sake of it, because I would love them to get there, I will give La Rochelle to win 16-15. But my brain is telling me that Leinster are just too big for them. But my heart will go La Rochelle 16-15. Yeah, I'm going to go the exact same. I think Toulouse, it should be not comfortable. It's the wrong word to use, but they should have enough to win this game. Bordeaux's prep is going to be atrocious. Um, so to lose home win and then look just for history and for the rugby that they've played throughout this year forget how well they're going the top 14 as well consistently um, I think La Rochelle two seasons ago would have lost this game very in a very straightforward fashion I think this will be a much tighter game and although Leinster have the history have the pedigree I just think with that power and the minds behind the scenes of John O'Gibbs and Ronald O'Gara they've got enough to sneak past Leinster so I think it's going to be a Toulouse-La Rochelle final. We will see. And I'll see you both at Channel 4 at the weekend. From a distance. <laughs> thanks, Benji. Thanks, Johnny. And a big thanks to all of you guys for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.